0: there and welcome to the emergence community leaders podcast the podcast dedicated to diving deeper into the themes and topics we study each week as we gather together to worship jesus our hope is that this will serve to further equip our church with more insight context and background into the weekly sermons and help the proclamation of god's word on sunday turn into the application of god's word in our daily lives and ultimately ending up in the transformation of people in our local communities thanks for joining us here today and let's get started as we dive into this week's discussion all right well hey group leaders and welcome back to a new week of our study of joshua we are in week four my name is alex hauser i'm the pastor of discipleship here at emergence and unfortunately i am flying solo today as uh, doug was unfortunately not in the office but we're going to jump into our conversation for week four of our study through joshua and this week we are taking a look at the battle of jericho and really uh, a couple of really interesting topics that have kind of fallen out of the sermon this week now In general, as you guys go to lead your communities this week, know that the Battle of Jericho has been uh, challenging for many folks in their faith for various different reasons, right? The idea that God would call a nation to go and sack a city is a difficult one. And uh, this week in particular, it would probably benefit you to to jump into the actual book, the Joshua book that we wrote, the the study companion uh, for this series. As Doug's got a lot of really excellent content in here, I'm going to touch on it briefly today in the podcast. Uh, but there's some really great stuff in there that kind of uh, to cover this a little bit more. And obviously, you know, in terms of kind of talking through this in fullness, you know, hopefully we can jump into it in our groups this week, but it really demands a lot more time than we have to give uh, in a 10-15 minute podcast podcast. Uh, But we'll do our best. So I'm going to jump in here. Of course, we have our typical getting started section in our study guide this week. This is pretty much always the same. I really don't change this from week to week. I had some leaders ask me about that. I never really change this. We always watch the video. I'll always have some sort of an icebreaker, which I'll kind of call, you know, I'll play that by ear sometimes, depending on, you know, what people are talking about or stuff like that. And then I always open up the conversation normally by praying first and praying for a time together or asking a volunteer to do that. And then just have, you know, this simple question, what did you guys think of the sermon this week? What was the, was there anything in particular that you that you took away from it? And I always ask that question. And depending on how the group answers that question, I'll kind of jump to some of those topics first, right, just to get conversation kind of flowing and started, and then I'll, I'll maybe start checking things off on my study guide or, or uh, highlighting some other things that I really want to get to. But when Doug and I break these down each week, we we try to kind of package them together uh, in accordance with the points that Ryan makes in his sermon. So. There's three sections, I'm sorry, four sections here this week. The first of those is called For Us or Our Adversaries. And so we're going to jump into Joshua 5 here, the first couple verses. Three verses here, 13 through 15. Um, I'll read them for us since they're short enough. It says, "Uh, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place in which you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So really cool. Don't miss this, leaders. There are, you know, Doug and I were mentioning this last week. There are a lot of echoes in Joshua's account thus far that are echoing back to Moses, right? Sending spies into the land and and kind of like how all of these things are kind of coming down are are very, very similar to how God was setting up Moses. And here we are again, you know, this this actual um, spoken word right here uh, is very similar to what we see in Moses' account. When Moses is with God and God tells him, Uh, take off your sandals for the ground on which you're standing is holy ground right is holy ground here we are again and joshua has the same account so interesting and 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 don't miss that so um we'll open this up you know when confronted by the man with a sword drawn he he reveals himself to be the army of uh the commander of the army of the lord and joshua asks him you know whose side are you on and we have this kind of interesting thing here where he says no like like, just, no, it's not It's not a great question. You know what I mean? Because I don't belong to one side or the other, but I am the commander of the Lord's army, right? So four questions here that we're going to jump into. Number one, do you find the commander's answer surprising? What do you think of his response? And what does it reveal to us about God? So a couple things here that kind of fall out of this, like right away, we see that even though these are the Israelites, right? And even though God is calling them into this land, God is for, like, he's not for one or the other. He calls all to repentance. And, you know, that's kind of one of the things that people miss a lot about this account of Jericho is that when we when we look at this, it isn't like, oh, okay, Jericho, you know, all the Canaanites, Jericho, you're done. You're done. Everybody dies. It's over with. No, it's like, you know, God's calling this the them to march around the city multiple times over and over and over and over again. With the ark, reminding them, this is God's people. Come out, come talk, come do anything. But here they are. The Canaanites stayed walled up in their city and, and refused to repent, all except for Rahab, of course. And you know, there's oftentimes there's a counter argument too. it's not really an argument, but a lot of folks kind of share this. It's like, well, does you know, did God hate the Canaanites? Doesn't you know, God love all people equally? It's well, He doesn't necessarily hate them. I mean, look at Rahab, right? <laughs> like she was grafted into Jesus's family tree. You know what I mean? Which is another point later on in this guide, but. It's not like it's not like a genocide over a race of people or anything. God calls all to repentance. but this land, this you know, this city of Jericho, this was promised to God's people for a long time. and here they are, and yet there's people that are squatting on the land, so to speak, and they just refuse to move. and so um, and you know and, and here's our count. So number two, given the commander's response, do you think it's wrong to claim that God is for us? Why or why not? I really like this question. (laughs) If, uh, if you read this the same way I do, you'll, you'll probably have echoing your, in your head. Uh, you know, if, if God is with me, who can be against me, right. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's like, you know, the question comes down to it is like, is God for us? You know? And sometimes it's an interesting, it's an interesting way to put that. Like, is God for me? Like God loves me, you know what I mean? But He he's for Jesus, (laughs) you know what I mean. I'm called to become like Christ, and you know we have a loving Father who is absolutely for us. But we should be careful to assume that because I'm a Christian, God is always for me in all things that I do. And and you know it kind of reminds me a little bit of when Jesus and Jesus was in the desert, right? And he's being tempted by Satan, and he says, well, you know, if, if he's if You know, God will protect you. Throw yourself down, and and Jesus responds, "Do not put the Lord your God to the test." Right, and that's Jesus speaking. Like, you know, if God's for anyone, right, you could probably argue He's for Jesus, and yet at the same time, like Jesus knows the heart of the Father, and I think that's what's most important. We should be careful in how we walk that we don't just assume that God is for us because this is what I am for necessarily, if that makes any sense, right? If, if this is something I really want and I'm really p- praying for, then therefore God is with me because I love, I love Jesus and I've been saved because of the work of Christ. So therefore I'll have this thing, right? No, be careful. That That's how you start walking down a prosperity gospel. And so it's just important to remind our, remind ourselves of this. Uh, question number three, have you ex- ever experienced people attempting to rally God to their own side of a conflict Um, I'm sure you've probably seen this before, especially in a political landscape that we're walking through right now. You know, you see people calling God to one side or another of a certain argument or this, that, or the other thing. Uh, Again, you know, you should be careful to not assume that God is necessarily for one side or the other, right? You know, Joshua himself goes up to the the commander of the Lord's army and says, "You know, are you for us or for our adversaries?" He says, "No, no, it's a bad question." It's don't assume anything, and that's the nation of Israel, right? That's those are God's chosen people that He's calling into the land, and yet here we are with a with a sharp reminder, and so we should be careful to do the same. Just because we walk as Christians doesn't necessarily mean that God isn't calling us to, let's say, hardship or or difficulties or challenges. You know, that might be the best thing in in God's, you know, in God's plan. However, He has that in His in His sovereign will that certain things should happen as as they will, and so uh, we're called to trust Him. Number four, how can we keep ourselves in check to guard against always presuming that God is on our side? D- these questions are kind of very similar to each other. I might package two, three, and four together um, in my own group tonight. But, again, same thing. Um, maybe this is just – question four is a slightly different because it's asking how can we guard ourselves against this. So, I mean, one thing that we should do is is constantly be praying. You know what I mean? Praying for God's will to be done, not mine. Pray that the Lord's will be done, right? And in the same sense, making sure that we're in God's word, you know, like what is God's will? Like, that's what, that's what I should be reading. And that's what I should be checking in with. And then of course, walking in community accountability. Like if I, if I feel like there's something God's really placed on my heart, the first people I'm going to tell are those closest to me, my wife, my close friends, pastors, you know, friends. Um, and, and make sure that like I'm, I'm operating according to God's general will, of course, and being discerning of how God's calling me forward in his, uh, specific will. Section number two here is called coming into our own faith. And so we're going to jump into Joshua six, um, and we're really kind of hinging on verse two here because the Lord says, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. And when I was chatting with Doug, he pointed out that this is actually in past tense. This, what God says here, see, I have given Jericho into your hand is actually in past tense. And so the question here is, do you think that this is significant? Why do you think that the Lord spoke this way? Um, really very cool that like before this event even happens, God, who is you know, outside of time, is basically saying, I have given Jericho into your hand before anything else happens. He's like, look, I've given it to you. It's done. You know, they haven't even taken the land yet. And God's saying it, it is done. Right. Which is, which is crazy. It just shows like God's power. You know what I mean? His, his sovereign will that it, if it's promised by God, it will be done. And you can carry that forward in all of in all of God's word, uh, you know, for all of God's promises throughout his word, of course. If God promises something like it's done, when he promises that he will not lose any of those that call him Lord or Savior and complete um, finish the work of salvation to completion. Right. That's a promise from God. We can trust in that um, and trust in the saving work that Jesus has done, you know, th- through throughout all time. Uh, Number six, what do you think the purpose was for this elaborate ritual that is, you know, walking around the city of Jericho with the ark out in front? Why didn't the Israelites simply attack the city? Well, uh, you know, seems like a somewhat obvious question. It's, you know, God's called them to do it this way and they're being obedient. So that's why. But realistically, you know, God's doing this for a reason. You know what I mean? As as Ryan mentioned in the sermon, you know, this wasn't this was an opportunity for repentance, right? Imagine what had happened. Imagine what would have been different if, you know, the king of Jericho came walking out and opened up the doors and and said, you know, kind of similar to Rahab is like, we know you're we know the Lord your God. We know who he is. We know that he's promised this land to you, and we're opening the doors. Imagine what the outcome might have been then. But instead, they lock all the doors shut everybody out thinking that, you know, the tall walls will save them from the impending uh, consequences. And, you know, we'll talk about that again in another second. Um, But we'll, you know, we'll get into that in a little bit more, but it's interesting how God calls them to do this, right? Because it's not, it's not, I guess, smart warfare, right? It's not what you would consider, you know, strategic tactics to basically march your entire army around the city that it wants to attack. I mean, you might be able to, like, a lot of people have analyzed this and said, well, they're trying to starve them out, you know what I mean, by walking around the city and not allowing any, you know, any food or supplies or anything to go in or out of the city. I mean, I guess so. I, I guess you could take it that way for sure. But, you know, I'm sure the city had more than enough storage to last a week. Uh, realistically, when it comes down to it, you know, this is, I think this is God giving an opportunity for the people of Jericho to repent. You know, it kind of reminds me of... Um, Um, Jonah a little bit when Jonah's called uh, to go to the capital of Assyria, right? And and he's called over to that place and basically saying, you know, repent the Lord. And actually, it's kind of ironic because in one sense, we have the city of Jericho that doesn't want to repent. And then the other one, we've got uh, Jonah, who basically doesn't want to go to the city and says, you know, barely three sentences or actually barely one sentence and the entire city repents. It's really interesting to kind of contrast those two. You can check that out, too, if you want to take a look at Jonah, small book. Um, so moving on, we're going to jump into Joshua six, verses eight through 21 In the sermon Ryan said, when it comes to our faith, we are not the victim of anyone. And what he meant by this is that we're all responsible for our own belief or unbelief, right? Rather than we're not a product or, and we're not a victim of the environment around us, but we all have a choice to make in regards to our own faith. He went on to explain how this generation of the Israelites and Joshua had an extreme trust in God. And this was directly, you know, in opposition to their parents, really, and their parents' unbelief that they had in the wilderness for 40 years. And so they did, you know, quote unquote, just as Joshua had commanded the people, right? Joshua 6 verse 8. And so we get a little bit of a contrast here. You know, this generation of Israelites is is very careful to do exactly what it is that the Lord had asked of them. Rather than, you know, their parents' generation, which, you know, really just complained the entire time for 40 years, even though God's providing them with food and leading them to the promised land. And so we've got a direct, you know, uh, comparison uh, right here, or con- uh, contrast rather. Question number seven asks, how do you personally relate to this in your own walk of faith, where your parents' believers are unbelievers and explain so personal question, but, you know, as you read this, you know, how did this kind of play out in your own walk of faith? You know, do you relate to this? You know, if your parents were believers, then how has that legacy been passed on to you? Is, is there anything that you want to see passed on as well um, if they weren't believers? Or maybe if they were believers and there's parts of that that you would see changed, you know, uh, explain. Number eight is children. We tend to simply go along with whatever our parents believe or don't believe. At what point in your own life did your faith or perhaps, you know, lack thereof or unbelief become your own and not just your parents? Again, another uh, another personal question we can jump into. Number nine, have you ever been tempted to blame other people like parents or mentors or churches for your own lack of faithfulness? And if so, explain. So this is, you know, personal question, right? You know, have you ever... Most of the people that are going to answer this are going to be Christians that have walked through seasons of doubt or seasons of frustration or lack of faithfulness, and so um, if that's your group, you know, feel free to ask it, a ha- a, you know, as is. If not, you know, feel free to change the question. I had a great question actually from one of our leaders, Ellen. Ellen reached out to me and she was just like, "Hey, you know, the way that this question's worded isn't really the best. Is it okay if I change it?" In short, you're welcome to change the wording of any of these questions. We don't expect you to read all these verbatim. We don't even expect you to get through all the questions. You know, our hope is that... This would be a good resource for you guys to kind of read through and study through, highlight some questions that you really want to ask. But our our hope is to get this conversation flowing and to equip you guys as leaders to have answers and to have questions ready so that you can you know, facilitate a great conversation. That's, that's our aim. So yes, of course, feel free to change any of the questions, leave certain questions out, and, and add in your own as you see fit. Um, let's continue on. Question number nine. Uh, I'm sorry, 10, take note of how much this text devotes to describing the people's preparation and obedience versus the amount of space actually dedicated to the battle. What do you think we can learn from this? Simple answer here really quick um, is that, you know, the bigger part of this account isn't so much that the people of Israel sacked Jericho, right, or that they took the city. The bigger issue is that they were obedient. Like they did exactly as God had commanded Joshua to do. They followed it, you know, to the T. And because of that, it worked out for the benefit of all involved. There's something we can learn from that. You know what I mean? If we follow God's instructions, if we trust him and, you know, if we place our faith in the Lord to carry us through, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it seems like what we're doing is the complete opposite of what makes sense. You know, if we trust in the Lord to lead us through, I I mean, God's good. He's a loving father and he knows what he's doing. So uh, next section here we call destroying strongholds. Uh, for this we're actually going to jump into Second Corinthians uh, chapter ten, verses one through six. And so I'm trying to navigate there myself actually. Uh, we'll jump into this a little bit. Uh, chapter ten. Here we go. Uh, Paul is speaking, of course, um, and Paul gives us this, you know, this wording here of waging war according to the flesh. Right. So let me just read this passage real quick. Verse one reads. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete, right? So this is Paul speaking in 2 Corinthians, talking to the church. And first question here is, what do you think it means to wage war according to the flesh? Simple answer simple answer here. So, uh, you know, in the book, again, uh, Doug is explaining this a little bit more, but it's important that we realize that there is a spiritual warfare that's going on, right? And we can see that because here, you know, war according to the flesh to physical beings and physically what's going on is essentially Joshua's here with an army and there's Jericho with their walled up city. But guess who's standing there is the, is the commander of the Lord's army, right? There is a spiritual war going on as well as there is a physical one. And what Paul is trying to point us to is that our weapons are not what we think they are. It's not a traditional sword. You know what I mean? There are powers and principalities in the spiritual realm that we can't even fathom. And there is a spiritual war that's going on for our hearts and for the hearts of others. And so that's the war that kind of Jesus calls us forward. You know what I mean? And as Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power. Like we rely upon God. We rely upon God's power we rely upon love. You know, Paul in, um, uh, what is it, Galatians, uh, is, you know, he gives us the, the full armor of God, right? The, the, uh, the helmet of, uh, what is it, the belt of truth, the helmet of, I forget what the helmet is, the breastplate of righteousness. But basically, he's describing a soldier, and he's attributing traits of, uh, of love, um, essentially the gospel love, you know, righteousness, truth, like these are the thing, these are our weapons. These are what we're called to walk forward with as Christians. Uh, number 12, what are the strongholds? Paul is talking about in verse four, when he says for the weapons of our warfare, are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. Um, really they're the strongholds against the faith. You know, if somebody has a hardened heart against Christ, you know, if they, if they refuse uh to listen to any any of the things of god that's what we wage war against you know what i mean you know i've got i have friends i've got family members that don't yet know christ and that is a stronghold that i pray uh that god would continue to use me in to be able to to love them well to show them the truth of who jesus really is and call them to that and help them see that and I, i pray that my words my actions my um, my love for them uh, would be clearly pointing to Christ. Uh, that's my prayer. And so for me, that's an example of, of number 12 here, strongholds. Number 13, what are some arguments or lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God that you've personally had to face? Uh, they abound, of course. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't really need to go there. Number 14, practically, how are we supposed to wage war against these strongholds? Again, um, in in loving speech and welcoming people forward. You know what? This is important right now. We've mentioned this in the past, but given the political climate, right? Right now, it's the end of October. We've got we have a, a an election that's coming up, and on all sides, even in our own church, we've got people on all sides that are just screaming at each other and just talking past one another. And look, we're I'm not here to make a political standing, right? I'm not going to stand on a soapbox and and try to push you one way or another. But listen, our our hope is not in man; it's in The man, the God man, Jesus, right? That's where our hope is. The only one that has any hope of salvation is not a political candidate. It doesn't matter red, blue, anything in between. It's not a political candidate. It's Jesus, right? And so the hope, especially during this time, that as we come across all of these strongholds where it's I'm not listening to you unless you unless you affiliate yourself with this political party or of course you you're going to be voting for this candidate or how could you or blah 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 in, in a culture where everyone is talking past one another. Our prayer is that the people of God would be the ones that are welcoming everyone back to the center. <laughs> I shouldn't probably shouldn't say center, but back to the heart of the real condition, right that we are all broken. We are all fallen. And even at our best, even at our best, it's not good enough. You know, Jesus is the hope that we have. And, you know, does that mean that we shouldn't vote? No, of course not. Does that mean that we shouldn't be, you know, trying to, you know, to write laws and, and you know, instill um, safe procedures that help all of us for the good of humanity? No, of course. You know, we should pursue those things. But we should do so knowing that, you know, we submit ourselves humbly before the Lord. And so the prayer here is that God's people would be those that, you know we can have conversations with folks on both sides. We can have conversations regardless if somebody doesn't believe what I believe, you know, it's, that's who God calls us to, right? Like most, you're not going to be doing ministry with people that believe every, you know, every single thing that you do. Most of the ministry happens with people that have no interest in God and think it's laughable that you believe in some, you know, kind of fake thing or, or being to help, you know, it's a crutch for you to get through in your life. That's, you know, that's what a lot of our society would argue those are the people God's called us to love. Those are the people that we're called to go to, our enemies, chiefly. And, you know, to use Jesus' words, love your enemy, right? And so as we walk in this, especially during this time in this political season, please, please, please take every thought captive, as Paul's saying in Second you know, Corinthians here, take every thought captive that we might actually wage war, spiritual warfare, right? and break down strongholds by the love of Christ with our hope in Christ and by, and by God's power, you know, as we, you know, as we pray together too. just please be praying for this time, please be praying for people's hearts. You know, obviously you can pray for the election. We've been praying together as a church, uh, not for the election, but just for God's people in the midst of all this crisis, you know, however, however you choose to vote, please, you know, have the heart of Christ as well to be ready that, you know, even though somebody doesn't, necessarily agree with you politically, like God loves them. You know what I mean? Just as much as he loves you or me. And so we are called to them. Uh hopefully that makes sense. Last thing here, walled up and welcomed. Uh we'll jump into Joshua six, verses twenty-two to twenty-seven. The story of Jericho is an account of both incredible judgment and incredible grace. There's a contrast here between the acceptance of Rahab on the one hand and the people that are walled up behind their stronghold in the city of Jericho, right? So I was alluding to this earlier. Ryan noted how Matthew 1.5 records Rahab as the wife of Salmon, who is the father of Boaz, right, from the story of Ruth. Um, If you want to check into that a little bit. Boaz is a cool dude, really cool dude. Go read the book of Ruth. It's an amazing account. But essentially what Ryan's pointing to is that here we are, right, again, we have an entire city of Canaanites, and Rahab ends up being the father of boaz who is in the ancestry of jesus she's in the lineage of jesus and this is like it's an incredible picture of god's love you know what i mean and and how he how he redeems all of us welcomes us into his family and even a prostitute who's not even an israelite uh she ends up becoming so integrated in the people of god that her own family line eventually produces the messiah right the very people that um we you know the Israelites are really looking forward to. So last question here, number 15, when has your life looked like the inhabitants of Jericho, stubbornly hiding behind strongholds? What were or are those strongholds? And what does it look like for you practically to walk out of your own walled city and into God's favor and mercy? So again, a really practical, just personal question. You know, what are some of those strongholds that, you know, you're kind of hiding behind? You know, we all have them. So what are they? What are the things that, you know, you either you're holding away from God, you know, quote unquote, or or that uh, you're just not ready to walk out from. Yeah. If you're willing to share those and um, leaders, if you're if you're going to go there, I always recommend going first. You know what I mean? If, if think about this ahead of time, uh, you know, what are some of the strongholds that either you used to hide behind or that you were hiding behind? Um, you know, I'll give you one of mine. Before I was a Christian, there was always a stronghold there. It's like, well, I can worry about this later. Right. Uh, I came to Christ when I was 19 years old. And, from you know, when I was in high school and even kind of checking out, you know, um, churches and and looking into different religions, to be honest, and, and studying up on different religions, kind of the thought in the back of my mind was always, well, I can figure this out later, you know and then when i started reading the bible i realized it was of eternal importance and and of primary importance right now for me to ask real questions about who god is and who jesus is and so that was one of mine uh, that i used to hang to hide behind and then i walked out from that and started asking sincere gen, uh, genuine questions to friends with a heart that was ready to be taught rather than a heart that was already um, I, I guess privy to a, a bias against Jesus, if that makes sense. And then, lastly, let's just pray together that you know we would take seriously the justice and love of God. Uh, pray that the Lord would reveal strongholds in our own lives. Um, I wanted to read this one section from the book as well. Doug wrote this, and I, I thought it was just really well put. And it, it's a really important reminder for us, especially as we lead this conversation. To keep this in mind, the final paragraph. It's on uh, what? What? I can't even read this page. I think it's page twenty-eight. My book got cut off. I think it's page 28 uh, in chapter four, which is titled The Lord's Battle. The last paragraph uh, reads, this is a striking account for a variety of reasons. Uh, the idea that God would command Israel to wipe out an entire city is not an easy thing to accept. And given this giving <laughs> that's a typo and given this treatment it deserves and demands more than we can do here right so this is doug speaking but we cannot think accurately about the events described in this book of joshua unless we are prepared to acknowledge what the inhabitants of jericho failed to take seriously that the one true god who both gives and takes all human life also judges sin moreover this is the very same god that rescues and everyone who turns to him in faith and repentance. And he does so at the cost of the life of his son, Jesus Christ. God does not issue empty threats. And just like those who died on that day, he does not leave us without a reason to believe in both his hatred for sin and his love for fallen humanity. Uh, bravo to Doug. I think that it, I love Doug because he has such an amazing way of, of, you know, putting, you know, of writing and, and really putting these things in a perspective in a succinct way. But it's, it's just, this is the truth, you know, like, God's promises never land empty-handed, right? They, they're always fulfilled. God hates sin. There is a judgment for sin. There is a consequence for sin. And if we ever thought that that was just a lighthearted comment that, oh, well, maybe God doesn't really mean that. Like, no, there is a very real confidence. Hell, or a very real consequence. Hell is a real place. But just as much as God hates sin, God loves humanity, even as broken and fallen as we are. And he provided a way for us to be with him again. That's the hope that we have. That was the hope Jericho had. And, you know, will we be the people that try to stay behind our walled city or will we be like Rahab and turn and, and hope that uh, we might find salvation in, in, in God? Thank you guys so much for leading this week. Sorry, it was a it was a little lonely over here without Doug in here, but I'll make sure that we get him back next week. Thank you guys for leading week in and week out. As always, if you have any questions at all, feel free to email Doug or myself. Uh, you can email us at communities at emergencenj.org. You can email me directly at alex.hauser at emergencenj.org. Uh, or feel free to reach out to us on Emergence Connect as well. Thanks for tuning in this week. We'll look forward to seeing you guys next time. Take care.